Ugly, Chapter 11, Friends and Enemies. The operations the doctors had done on my face over the years started to pay off. I made new friends at school and at home. Some kids were quick to see how different I was, but many others seemed not to notice, or at least not to care. I wasn't the most popular kid in school. I didn't have people rushing to spend every possible second with me at lunch, but I wasn't totally shunned and ignored either. Dave and I were still friends, but I made a bunch of new ones too. Chief among my new school friends were Robert Fernman and Robert Webb. For a while, we became the three Roberts, referred to as Robert H., Robert F., and Robert W. I had an easy connection with Robert F. Before a growth spurt, he had been of average height and a bit awkward. We both loved books and stories about stars and distant planets and spaceships. At Guardian Angels, we'd started hanging out, talking about space and astronomy. Robert W. was fun to hang around with, too, but I think the main reason I wanted to be friends with him was because his name was Robert. After all, it wouldn't have been the three Roberts if there were only two of us. There were friends at home as well. Manly West was still a young suburb when I was growing up, especially compared to near Wynum. There were a few kids my age living right near our house. They were all girls, but that didn't matter to me. There was Cassandra, who lived next door, and down the road were Belinda and Evelyn. Evelyn's family didn't have a lot of money, and sometimes Mom would send us down to her house with tins of food. Often it was canned beets, which suited me just fine, as I thought they were horrid, and we always had so much of them. To me, Cassandra was the most important. The others would come and go, but Cassandra and I were constants. She was the only child of a couple living next door, so she was always happy to get out of the house and play. She was even happier to come and join in the loud chaos of a large family like ours. Cassandra and I would spend whole afternoons chasing each other around one backyard, then over the fence into the other. We'd bounce on her trampoline for hours on end. She would run up and down the sidewalk, and I'd go up and down the road on a skateboard, artificial legs off, propelling myself forward with my arms. We'd play with Legos. She always had more Legos than me, but that was okay, because I had a much higher proportion of space Legos, and if there was one thing you needed to build spaceships, it was space Legos. We'd grab the old transistor radio her parents had given her, go outside at night, raise the antenna, and point it at the stars. Right at the bottom of the AM dial, just when you almost couldn't turn it any further, we'd pick up strange signals, rhythmic electric pulses that could only be one thing, UFOs. Cassandra would sometimes turn up at our back door and politely ask Mom or Dad if I was home and would like to play. For my part, I'd go down to the fence between our two houses and yell, Cassandra! as loud as I could, a human megaphone. Because Dad was a shift worker and would often start work early the next day, we'd have dinner at 5.30 or 6 p.m. and listen to the news. From 6 to 7 p.m. was TV viewing time for Mom and Dad. Without fail, the television would be switched to some news or current affairs program. Much to my horror, this meant missing shows like The Goodies and especially Doctor Who. I'd go over to Cassandra's house right after dinner so I could watch Doctor Who. We'd listen, sometimes scared, for any familiar but strange alien signals. When the show finished, I'd head home so I could have a shower and get ready for bed. She was my best friend for a long time, even when I became a typical boy and was afraid to admit it. Together, Cassandra, Evelyn, Belinda, and I had plenty of adventures. A few years in a row, we sold grapefruit on the corner. They were picked from a tree in Cassandra's yard. We made signs and moved a table onto the sidewalk, Given all our efforts, tree climbing, grapefruit picking, sign design, and drawing, we priced the grapefruits at 50 cents each. 
I decided the best form of advertising was to stand on the corner of our street and yell at the top of my voice, grapefruits for sale. I think in the first year we sold a grand total of one grapefruit. Next grapefruit season, we're right back at it though, picking, making signs and selling. Again, my chief duty was to stand on the corner and yell at the top of my voice, grapefruits, grapefruits, fruits for sale. Get your grapefruits. The first day, we had no luck selling a total of zero grapefruits. We went home dejected. Next morning, we assembled to give it another go. It didn't look like we were going to make our fortunes in grapefruit sales that year either. Then someone walked up and asked how many grapefruits we had. Cassandra said we had about a dozen in various stages of ripeness. The customer asked if she could buy all of them for $10. Absolutely, we said after conferring with each other for exactly three seconds. A whole $10? That was a fortune to us. The neighbor handed over the money and we handed over the grapefruits, happier and richer than we had ever been in our little lives. Things changed when we told Cassandra's parents. We were excited and asked if they could take the $10 and split it four ways for us. Concerned that the neighbor had spent so much on our enterprise, they decided we should go and give half of it back. Suddenly, our fortune was only half a fortune, but give it back we did. I think they must have thought the poor lady had only bought all the grapefruits to shut me up. The three girls were a little younger than me, and they seemed to adjust to me pretty quickly. Young kids are naturally very accepting of new and different things. The kid with a squishy nose and strange legs isn't that surprising when you're three years old and you hear stories about talking bears, sitting at a table, eating porridge. It's only as kids get older that they start to know what's normal and what's not. We used to congregate on sidewalks, in backyards, and at a nearby park to play on the swings and scheme and scamper along the local creek, building bridges and trying to catch the small fish in the, the little stream. The girls would do cartwheels, and I'd practice handstands without my prosthetics on. One day, when I took my legs off, Evelyn pointed at them. Oh, what happened to your feet? Nothing, I said. Who chopped them off? Evelyn asked. No one, I said. Did you chop them off? Still with the questions. No. Did the doctors chop them off? No. Were you born like that? Yes. And we kept on playing. Other questions weren't always quite so easy to answer. Sometimes I'd get asked, how did you lose your legs? As if I'd left them on the bus and they were waiting to be reclaimed from the lost and found. Outright sympathy could be just as frustrating. Sometimes passerbys would tilt their head and deliver an undeserved smile. Look at the kid lump, limping along the sidewalk, the smile would say. Isn't he wonderful, inspirational, amazing? There were some things I just couldn't avoid when it came to my disability. The first was knowing I'd need to work smart during my life because I wasn't going to be able to work hard physically. When I came home from school with a bad test score, mom would look at me sternly and dad would say what he always said. At various times, Dad had been a meat worker, a cane cutter, a forklift driver, and a lawnmower man. He knew I had a different path. Robert, Dad would say, you're not going to be digging ditches for a living. You've got to try harder. The second was that I seemed to have more sense than other kids, than most kids, about the physical space surrounding me. The way I experienced the physical world was always changing. If you have two artificial legs, sometimes you're short and sometimes you're tall. Sometimes you experience the world on all fours, jumping from place to place. Other times you have your legs on and operate the way the world intended, except when you stumble or your legs start aching 15 minutes after you've put them on. 
The third thing was that there weren't a lot of people like me I could look up to. Men are meant to be strong. We are supposed to be powerful. Dad and Michael and Gary were tall and broad-shouldered. Most of the men I saw on TV were built well and active, too. There were no disabled role models for a young boy trying to work out what sort of man he could become. Those issues didn't have simple answers. I'd have to work out how to make my own way in the world.